ESPN 97.7 and 100.1. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. I think from a fan base, I think in that locker room, everyone knows who Joe Burrow is. And I think from opposing teams, everyone knows the respect that Joe Burrow brings. But, you know, if you're looking at how this season started, you know, there are a lot of times you wondered, why, why are we even playing the games? Everyone said, it's, it's Josh Allen and the Bills. This is their year. And to a point, you know, Patrick Mahomes was slept on a little bit this year, losing Tyree Kill. But Joe Burrow has done it. He has gotten over that hurdle. He is there's a feeling that it's always been Allen Mahomes and then there's Herbert and a little bit of a of a, of a lot and then Joe Burrow and I think game by game this year the way Joe Burrow did it yeah Joe Burrow is up there now I mean this guy's played in a Super Bowl and I know that Mahomes and Josh Allen kind of roll off the tongue first but uh, you, you have to include Burrow in that conversation and he'll put any hesitation on that to ease should uh, Cincinnati take down the Bills this weekend in an AFC Divisional playoff game, and it is a pleasure to welcome on the voice of the Cincinnati Bengals, the voice of the Cincinnati Bearcats, a Syracuse alum, and uh, formerly of WTVH5 TV here in Syracuse. Maybe back in the day you dared Dan. Let's bring him in, the great Dan Horde with us here on ESPN, SyracuseQSportsTalk.com. Dan, how you doing, bud? The Axe Man. I'm great. How are you? I am great. It's great to hear your voice, and you know, right off the bat, that makes me think of something, Dan. Let, let's go back to Dare Dan. <laughs> is there a Dare Dan you lost that you just, to this day, it's a regret? It, you know, it just gnaws at you in the middle of the night. Like, how in the world did I lose that one? Do you, do you have any absolutely. Dare? Which one is it? Yeah, absolutely. So I competed against the senior citizen's home, and Simon, tell, or, uh, Simon says... I believe there are about 28 elderly residents at this <laughs> wow. uh, senior citizen's home. And I, I knocked off the first 25, uh, but three elderly ladies, I believe their names are something like, you know, Gladys, Eleanor, names that you haven't <laughs> uh, commonly heard in recent years. Uh, three elderly ladies knocked me off and Simon says, so that one haunts me to this day. Wow. Wow. That's the regret right there. Ah, that's, that's, that's great though. I mean, that's, that's a, Great conversation right there when whenever that comes up. I mean, it shows you the variety of dare dance that you did back <laughs> in the day. Everything was on the table, right? No question. And the last one that I ever did was head-to-head against Coach Bayheim. We were both coaching uh, girls' basketball teams. I think they were about in fourth or fifth grade. And uh, the Hall of Fame head coach beat me as well. Two baskets to one uh, in a low-scoring affair. So that close. one haunts me as well. That one just so close right there. Now, did you did you originate that? Was that uh, that start because Kevin Marr did it, and a few other people did it, and, and sportscasters have done it across the way? But did you originate that at WTVH five? Well, I originated it at WTVH. I can't claim credit for the idea. I had a buddy at Syracuse University named Craig Benervini, who's been a longtime sportscaster in Florida since then in the Miami area. He was the first person that I knew of that did something like that. But I brought it to a channel five and every sportscaster that followed me there kept the tradition going until uh, that station uh, basically, unfortunately got rid of its uh, local news department, which was a shame. I participated in a couple. I was challenged a couple of times and uh, I was, I was over two in, in that category. Now this was in, when I worked in the Mohawk Valley at W uh, IBX in Utica and WKTV, the local anchor there, Ryan Nobles, who by the way, is now the lead 
congressional correspondent for NBC News. Wow. Uh, defeated me at NHL, I believe it was 96 on the Sega Genesis. So <laughs> that's the one I regret right there, thinking about that. I feel your pain. <laughs> there you go. On to present matters, uh, Bengals, Bills, and we only got a little bit of a slice, of course, of the of that matchup on Monday Night Football for obvious reasons that we'll get into here. But, Dan, what are the takeaways from that game that Cincinnati can feel good about at least going into this matchup? Because, I mean, at the very least, they were moving the ball pretty well to start that game off. Well, that's for sure. The game only lasted for nine minutes, but it was clear that the Bengals' offense was giving the Bills fits. It's impossible to say if it would have lasted for all 60 minutes, but they were clicking at the beginning of that game. And, you know, that was a big night for Cincinnati. They still had a chance to earn the number one seed potentially in the AFC. I have never seen a pregame atmosphere for a regular season game like that in my life. It was incredible. It felt more like the opening to the Olympics or a Super Bowl atmosphere than it felt like a regular season game. So the city was fired up. They had been for the whole week. The Bengals were clearly ready to go. They got off to a great start, but unfortunately, uh, we'll never know how that one would have played out. Take me back to that night, Dan, and, and going through that, and thank goodness DeMar Hamlin has made a remarkable recovery. He is in, in the facility now. He's slowly but surely getting back to it, so there's there's a lot of inspiring things that have come out of that. But in the moment, you know, how, how did you broadcast through that and, and just and then afterwards what the city was like uh, following that that incident? Well, it was terrifying. Uh, whether you were there, whether you're watching on TV, whether you're listening on the radio, the experience was terrifying. Unfortunately, I've been broadcasting uh, football games for a long time, and I've seen some gruesome injuries, but I never anticipated that I'd be looking through my binoculars onto a football seat, uh, field and see somebody receiving uh, CPR. So uh, that was beyond anything I ever imagined. But, but thankfully, not only did DeMar begin recovering, but it happened so quickly. By Thursday of that week, it was clear that he was going to be okay, and that allowed everybody to move on. I think players would have had a hard time returning to action on those two teams uh, for a long period of time if DeMar's situation had lingered or, you know, thank heavens, uh, you know, nothing worse happened. But the fact that his health turned so quickly, he was released from the Cincinnati hospital very quickly after that, released from the Buffalo hospital, and you know, now he's back at the Bills facility. I've been wondering this week if he might be involved in the pregame coin toss or something like that, which would be unbelievable uh, this Sunday. And uh, if that happens, I hope somebody has Kleenex in our booth hmm. because I'm the crying type. And uh, there's no question tears would be uh, flowing down my cheeks if that were the case. I've been wondering that myself, and I, I, I would consider that to be a good bet that it would happen here. And You know what struck me about all this, Dan, was there is a connection between the Bills and the Bengals. Think about and you know when Andy Dalton put the Bills into the playoffs and all the donations that came in for his charity, how Cincinnati embraced DeMar, his family, the Bills helped out with everything and, and just all the stories we heard about that. These two teams don't cross paths often, but it seems like every time they do, something extraordinary happens. And it's led to a very interesting feeling going into this playoff game. The Bengals just faced a hated division rival, the right of the Ravens, that played them in back-to-back -back games. The two teams despise each other. It gets chippy. There are personal fouls. You worry about you're going to do something crazy, and it's going to cost you 15 yards at the end of the game. Now these two teams go into this game. There's a sense of brotherhood. They survived a traumatic experience together. 
I think there's a great respect between the fan bases and the cities. So I'm sure when the game kicks off, it's going to be as hard-hitting and spirited as any NFL game is, particularly a playoff game. But I wouldn't expect cheap shots. I wouldn't expect personal fouls. I think it's going to be a great, competitive, exciting, but clean game, and that's good. Dan Horner with us here, the voice of the Cincinnati Bengals, former uh, Syracuse broadcaster, Syracuse alum as well. You brought it up earlier, Dan, about how Cincinnati, in a short uh, sample per se, but they were moving the ball pretty well. Let me flip the uh, field here because Josh Allen, his turnover rate's been up a little bit. He had three turnovers against Miami, and Josh can do that. Josh has some Brett Favre in him, and he'll take those chances, and sometimes they pay off, sometimes they don't. Hearing that, is Cincinnati in a position where you feel like they can get after Josh Allen and keep that turnover rate up? Well, I think that's a huge key for Cincinnati because of the state of the Bengals' offensive line, and we can get to that in a second. But Josh Allen has been turnover-prone, particularly lately. In 16 interceptions when you include the playoff game, 14 fumbles, six of them recovered by the opposition. That's the most of any quarterback in the NFL. Now, last year, that didn't happen in the postseason, so this has not been a career-long trend or anything like that for Josh. But for whatever reason, it has been an issue of late, and that is a Bengals' strength. When they went to the Super Bowl last year, the final defensive play of all three playoff wins that got them to the Super Bowl was an interception. They came up with a key interception at the end of all three of their wins. Obviously, last Sunday night against the Ravens, it looked like they were about to fall behind in the fourth quarter. And they come up with what is probably regarded as the greatest play now in the 55-year history of the franchise, forcing a fumble at the goal line and seeing a defensive lineman run it back 98 yards for the game-winning touchdown. So it's a strength of the Bengals. It is a at least a question mark with the Bills. And when you've got an offensive line that's battered, uh, you're looking for things on the defensive end that might be able to help you win the game. By the way, a defensive lineman, as you well know, from Cincinnati. That had to make that moment uh, that much more special uh, in that circumstance. Yeah, from Cincinnati, went to Ohio State, played at Moeller High School. He's beloved by the fan base. He's such a great guy, very involved in the community. His charity is you know, very generous. So Sam Hubbard is the real deal. And to see him have a moment like that was just awesome. You brought it up, Dan. Let's circle back to it here. The Bengals' offensive line. It's a big storyline going into this game. Tell me um, where it's at now and if it's as affected as we think it's going to be on Sunday here, just how Joe Burrow and company adjust to that. It's the storyline going into this game. The Bengals had a mediocre or worse offensive line last year. They still got to the Super Bowl and were two minutes away from winning it, but they addressed it in the offseason. They signed three free agents who have all started. They drafted a rookie uh, who's been starting at left guard. The offensive line was shaky early in the year as these guys developed timing and chemistry, and then it got really, really strong. It was probably top 10 uh, in the NFL in the second half of the season. And then on Christmas Eve, week 15 in New England, they lost the right tackle. Uh, Not counting the Buffalo game since it didn't finish. And the game after that, final regular season game, they lost their right guard. In their first playoff game, they lost their left tackle. So the last three games that have been finished, they've lost a starting offensive lineman. They're down 60% of their offensive line. Uh, Two of the guys that are stepping in were members of the offensive line that struggled in the postseason last year. So this is the story of the game. Forget about any other storyline out there. Can the Bengals' offensive line do well enough? It's not going to be as good 
can it do well enough to allow Joe Burrow to work his magic? Uh, if the line is able to do that, the Bengals will move on. But it's a huge question mark. Dan, over to uh, Bearcats duties for you. I'm, I'm curious what the feel is with Cincinnati about to leap into the Big 12. I mean, you look at Big 12 basketball right now. It is unbelievable. You've got a bunch of ranked teams. Pretty much the whole league is good this year. And, of course, Cincinnati football just made a change with Luke Fickle moving on and uh, Scott Satterfield coming in. So what, what's kind of the vibe and the feel of, of the last year where Cincinnati is now and what's ahead with the Big 12 on the way? I think Cincinnati fans are realistic about their prospects in the short term in the Big 12. It's going to be tough initially, but I think in the long term, they're really optimistic that this is exactly what the athletic department, the department has always dreamed of, having a seat at the table, getting the kind of TV revenue that the Power 5 schools get that Cincinnati has never had. They're going to make more than $40 million a year from TV. Right now it's six. So imagine when you add that up year after year after year, what you can do to strengthen your uh, athletic department. Um, They're already seeing uh, benefits in recruiting. They're getting players, especially in basketball, that have been really hard to get in recent years. So, again, it might be difficult early on, but I think in a relatively short period of time, uh, it's going to be absolutely sensational for Cincinnati fans. Close on this note, Dan. I always enjoy it when uh, you and, and Mike Tirico get to cross paths. I mean, there's a lot of Syracuse alums that you run into out there, but there's something special there when you and Mike get to call a, a game in, in the same a scenario, in the same building. Uh, you know, when you get to do that, how special is that for you? Really special. We had breakfast the day of the game uh, last week, and then both had the opportunity to call that incredible moment. And how great was Mike's call? I mean, it, was it was great. Absolutely. Yeah. Perfect, and I'm I'm really happy uh, that he had the opportunity to call a play like that because let's face it, moments like that are really what put announcers down in history. Uh, whether it's Al Michaels saying, "Do you believe in miracles?" or you know, pick a favorite call of your all-time favorite announcer. Uh, it was a difficult play to anticipate, and Mike nailed every aspect of it, including including uh, the Cincinnati kid as Sam Hubbard is running down the field, which I thought was a great touch. So I'm not surprised that he nailed it, but uh, I'm really excited for him because he's received a lot of well-deserved praise this week, and uh, that's great a great thing to see for a close friend. Dan, it's great to catch up. Always enjoy having you on. Enjoy the, the playoffs this weekend, and uh, continued luck and success to you with everything you're doing in Cincinnati. We'll uh, definitely do it again down the road, but thank you so much for your time today, my friend. You bet, Brent. Thanks for having me on. You got it, sir. That is Dan Horde, folks, the voice of the Cincinnati Bengals, Bearcats, former Syracuse broadcaster and Syracuse alum. Here's that call he mentioned. Uh, Many of you saw it, of course, but I just, you can't get more perfect than how Mike Tirico called this on Sunday. Right around Hundley, he reaches, oh, that ball's out, that's live! Back the other way, Sam Hubbard! The Cincinnati kid! Hubbard's got a convoy! Chased by Andrews! At the 30, the 20, he will score! Quite the opposite of how Al Michaels would have called that, right? Considering he was half asleep with uh, the greatest comeback we've seen in playoff history, recent playoff history, third biggest of all time. Knew the ball was live, knew it was Hubbard, immediately knew the Cincinnati connection, and that's one of those calls that will stand out down the road. Dan had a great call, too, don't get me wrong, but uh, he said it. That was about as perfect as it gets right there, and that's why Mike Tirico is Mike Tirico. We will break. 
It's draft day on the block. And today, Josh Jordan and I will draft the Mount Rushmore of game shows. Don't go anywhere.